You're listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. For more information on services and events at our Simpsonville and Greenville locations, visit us online at therenovation.church. Today's message is presented by our senior pastor, Jeremy Havlin. If you have your Bibles, I'm gonna ask you to turn to the book of Colossians, New Testament, chapter one. And we're gonna be there in just a little bit. Earlier this year, I read on the news, and probably like a lot of you did read on the news, about an incredible situation that happened down in South America, country of Colombia in South America. I never had the privilege of going to Colombia, but my dad's visited on multiple occasions, and I've heard it's a beautiful country. In fact, we have people in our church who are from Colombia, and so anyway, I just heard a lot of awesome things about Colombia, but earlier this year, you may have read this in the news, that there was a plane crash that happened. Now, this happened on May 1st, so you have to kind of peel back. And by the way, doesn't May 1st feel like it was 10 years ago? Isn't this crazy? Are we in a time vortex? It's both the slowest and the fastest ever. But May 1st feels like a completely different era and world, but go back to May 1st if you can. May 1st, in the country of Colombia, there was an aircraft with seven people on board that was flying over the remote jungle in Colombia. Now, I've told many stories. My family and I used to live in the Amazon jungle. So this scene I can picture. In fact, many times when we would fly in, we flew on on small planes and they were terrifying to fly in. You would never get closer to Jesus than if you got on one of those planes. You would start praying. I mean, you would, it would be amazing. You would lead other people to Christ. It's just incredible experiences seeing uh, the planes that were flown over the jungle. And, and here's something, again, about the jungle, and I've shared many of these stories before, is that you are not the apex predator in the jungle. You know, if you have a weapon, sure, that's great. If you land in the jungle without a single weapon, you are no longer the apex predator in there. You are the buffet meal, and everything in the jungle is designed, it's just incredible. There's all these things in creatures out there, things that you maybe never heard of that are out there. They're, they're, you've seen the frogs that look really bright and shiny. Aren't they so cute? You touch them, you die. That's one example of the Amazon jungle. And so I, I vividly as a kid can remember flying on these planes in and out of the jungle with my family and you'd open the window and you would just see trees forever. And I remember thinking, like, if that goes down, that's it. And so when this story hit back in May, I'm like, this is incredible. So what happened back in Colombia on May 1st? Plane goes down, there's seven people on board and immediately they, they dispatch the military to try and do a search and rescue to figure out what's going on. Eventually, they find the aircraft that went down, and when they got to the aircraft, they discovered that the three adults who were on board had perished in the accident, but they knew, flight logs, that there happened to be four kids. And you remember this story. Four kids who weren't in the aircraft, and it seemed like they had somehow survived the crash. They were 13, 9, 7, and 11 months and they found themselves in the middle of the jungle, surrounded by just all of these incredible things. And how do you navigate this and what do you do? And, and it became an, an international story because everyone's wondering, can we find these kids? Can someone discover where they are? Where are these kids? And, and so the, the, the search went on and on and on. Now, I don't know about you, but have you ever watched the survival shows? Like the ones where it's like in Alaska or the middle of nowhere? Do you ever put yourself and be like, how would I do in that environment? Yeah, you're like, there's no way. So I, I did, when I was younger, I did Boy Scouts in the country of Chile in South America, and we were the only Boy Scout troop there because, anyway, we're in a different country, and it was a bunch of military kids, and 
their dads who were leading us on cool expeditions. But for one of my merit badges in Boy Scouts, I had to do survival training. Which so by myself at the age of 13, I had to go into the wilderness and survive for two days, one night. It was like the most terrifying experience of my life. I'm 13, I create a shelter. You could only take like a knife and some rope and some different things. You couldn't have all the things and you had to survive. Two days, one night, you had to find a campground, you had to build it up. And I remember at 13, you know how like when you're a kid, you want a light on at night to see? Well, when you're 13 in the middle of a wilderness, every single noise you think is gonna come at you. And so I, I just know what that's like in the smallest of ways. So, made it through that survival experience myself. But then I'm reading the news and all of a sudden I'm realizing there's, there's four kids. And at this point in my life now, I'm a dad. I got three kids. Can you imagine somewhere in the jungle these kids are? And days are passing and days turn into weeks and weeks turn into more weeks and they can't find the kids. Eventually, after 40 days, you read in the news, they discovered all four kids alive. That the oldest one had learned how to kind of survive and took care of her younger siblings. It was an incredible story that made international headlines. You read it, I read it. But there's a little detail in there that hit me. And it struck me in such a way, which is what's leading me to kind of share it with you this morning. A little detail. While they were trying to rescue the kids and they were flying out in this massive search area with the helicopters and the planes and the reconnaissance and the, the dogs, which is what eventually found them and the, and the people out there, while they're doing all of that, they're, they're thinking, what do we, how do we keep these kids to, to communicate with them? And what they did, which, which is the piece that, that, that just stuck out to me so much, was they got massive speakers and put them on the helicopters and while the helicopters are flying overhead, they had, a, they had a recording that they had made of these kids' grandmother. And their, their grandmother spoke to them through the recording saying, please stay where you are. We will find you. We are coming to get you. And it was that one little, think about that, that one little thing. And the helicopter would fly ahead overseas, blast, overhead blasting her voice, blasting her voice. It was the voice of someone that they knew. And I thought, what an incredible thing and what an incredible story that these kids were eventually found alive. <laughs> Beautiful ending for those kids and their family. But I, that thing of, about the grandmother's voice. And the reason I bring this up is because we can't see God. It's one of the things that makes life challenging sometimes because we believe in a God who we cannot see. And yet when, when we open up scripture, what we realize is that even though we cannot see God, we have something very significant from God. We have his voice. In fact, we have his word, it says. His word, it says, is a voice that can actually speak into our life. And just like the kids who, who were out in the middle of the jungle, having to survive and figure it out, so many of us have understood exactly, not like that, but we know what it's like to feel alone. We know what it's like to wonder if everything's gonna be okay. We wonder in ourselves, does anybody else out there care? And in the midst of this, we can go and we can understand that just like these kids were lost and the voice of their grandmother spoke, we have something so incredibly beautiful this time of year that we can hold on to, and it's the voice of God. And as we turn into the scriptures, this voice, 
wants to speak to you. Now, you may not be lost. Things may be going okay for you in your life. But regardless of how you came to church, my hope is that you would get a chance to hear his voice in your life to such a degree where one thing that he might say might actually speak to hear and speak into hear. That we would just lean in to the voice of God this morning. And that's exactly what we're gonna do. We've been looking at the names of God and today the title of the message is simply this, Light of the World. Light of the World. These are the names of Jesus given to him. And, and what we're gonna do is, before we get to Colossians 1, I want you to see this moment in which Jesus declares an element of who he is. In John chapter eight, and these verses are gonna be on the screen, verse 12 tells us this. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Now let's just pause there for a second. If you are hanging out with any of your friends and they make a declaration like this about themselves, run away as fast as you can. It's easy to assume, and just make this, Jesus is a great teacher. People say, he was a great teacher, he was a good guy. I want you to see that Jesus said things that were crazy. I mean, he absolutely said things that were crazy. He makes a declaration, and he declares himself to be the light of the world. There's no middle ground in this. Either he is who he says he is, or he's not. This isn't just a good teacher, this is someone who's making some profound, he is the light that illuminates everything for everybody. And this is how Jesus starts this part off. Let's keep reading though a little bit. Verse 13. The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. By the way, if you were, it's easy to sometimes to bash the Pharisees. But here Jesus is, and later it says this. Don't we know him? Isn't he from Nazareth? Don't we know who his family is? How can he make a declaration that he's the light of the world? Are you crazy? So they have, these, this would be the most normal response in the world. They said, you, you can't make this declaration about yourself. If I told you that I was the greatest basketball player living, you would want some proof. You'd be like, Jeremy, let's see a dunk. I'd be like, no, just take my word for it. You'd be like, yeah, no, I'm good. That's kind of what's going on here. Verse 14, Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid for I know where I came from and where I am going, but you have no idea where I come from or where I am going. And you can continue reading that if you want at a different time, but Jesus makes a declaration and then they ask this simple question, who do you think you are? And it's a question that at some point a lot of people have to be able to answer, who do we think Jesus is? Who do we think Jesus is? This is not an insignificant question, it's one that has the impact for all of us, for what we believe, for how we choose to live, for how we navigate relationships in our life, for what we do for a living, who is this Jesus? And that's exactly what they ask him. Jesus makes a declaration, I'm the light of the world. They say, who do you think you are? So who is this light of the world? Colossians chapter one. And I ask you to turn there, we're gonna be reading from the NIV in just a couple of verses. And by the way, later in 2024, we're actually gonna be doing a book series on the book of Colossians. So I'm stealing a little bit of the thunder, but you won't remember, so it's good. You guys can pretend like you just is like new later in the future. All right, anyway. This is one of the most incredible, I, like, Colossians is incredibly Christ-centric. And we're gonna, Colossians, beautifully through Paul, he's gonna write 
and explain who Jesus is in such a way that can impact us today if we lean in. In Colossians 1, verse 15, it says this. The title of this is The Supremacy of the Son of God. Verse 15. This is a, a passage I reference often, but Colossians 1.15 says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Verse 17, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Verse 18, and then we'll stop there for a second. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So that in everything he might have supremacy. We'll stop there for a second. So who is Jesus? Colossians tells us that Jesus is supreme, that there is no one over Jesus. Let me give you, uh, supremacy, by the way, is an adjective. Let me give you some other adjectives that describe this. Ready? He is the highest ranking. He's the highest. He's leading. He's the chief. He's the head. He's the top. He's the foremost. He's the principal. He's superior. He's premier. He's first. He's a cardinal. He's prime. He's sovereign. He's directing. He's governing. He's the greatest. He's the dominant. He's the predominant. He's the preeminent. He's the overriding, and he's the prevailing. In other words, what Colossians says is, is who is Jesus? The question the Pharisees asked. What Colossians tells us, Jesus is over everything. Now, it's hard for us sometimes to wrap our minds around this because, honestly, our perspectives can be limited. We're, we're, we're limited in who we are. So let me just, in the simplest fashion, see if I can just, in a moment, describe just how infinite Jesus is. So, I uh, am fascinated I am fascinated by traveling the world. And one of the places that I've had the privilege of going to, I was younger, is a place in northern Chile, country we used to live in. And in northern Chile, they have the driest desert in the entire world. It's called the Atacama Desert. And it's southern Peru, northern Chile, and it's absolutely stunning. And when I was there, we got a chance to visit an observatory. Let me show you a picture of the observatory that's out there. It's stunning. I mean, it's absolutely beautiful. Now, here's the thing about the Atacama Desert. It's the driest desert in the world, but it's also at a high elevation. So they can get to elevations of up to 16,000 feet, which is high. So you have this incredible part of the world that is able to not have clouds cover it. It doesn't have almost any light pollution from nearby cities. And so they placed an observatory here. And when I was younger, I remember vividly going and visiting this observatory. I've been at this site right here. We, we traveled there, actually. And so great, incredible experience. Awesome. Now let me show you something. So before we get to the next picture, just with your naked eye, I want to show you what it looks like at night when you're in the desert looking up. This is a picture of what it looks like. It's absolutely incredible. And I want you to pause for a second. Jesus makes a declaration. He says this. He goes, I am the light of the world. Now think about this. What you just read in Colossians says this, that Jesus created light. So in the beginning, he said, let there be light. Jesus spoke that into existence. Now to understand how unbelievable that is, what you see right there is our galaxy. It's the Milky Way. And to comprehend the enormity of all of it, 
trying to figure out how many stars we have. So let me, let me give this. In my hand, this is a bottle of sand from a place that I visited a lot when I was younger. It's a, it's a place in southern Chile called Licanray, and this is sand from that place. And it's actually part of, uh, it's volcanic sand, left over from when volcanoes erupted in that area. The amount of stars in the sky, to give you an idea, and this is the sand, and you can't see it from there because it's teeny tiny and online, I'm sorry, it, just imagine that it's there. They said, they say, this is how many stars there are. There are so many stars in the heavens that for, for every grain of sand in our entire world, for every grain of sand in our entire world, there are 10,000 stars in the sky. For every grain of sand in the world, there are roughly 10,000 stars. This is something that, imagine how many stars that bottle holds. And what Colossians tells us is this. It says, it says that in the beginning, Jesus was there and everything was created for him and by him. He spoke it into existence and then Jesus makes a declaration. He says, I am the light of the world. What Colossians is trying to tell us is that there is nobody else bigger or better or more awesome than Jesus. In fact, the Bible later tells us this, that every knee will bow and every tongue confess regarding to Jesus. It's this incredible thing. It's his supremacy that is simply so much more. Let's keep reading them. Ready? Because Colossians continues to say some incredible things. And he, uh, verse 19, for God was pleased to have all of this, uh, for God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell with him and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of the evil behavior, because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you to Christ's physical body through his death, present, uh, through death to present you holy in the sight without blemish and free from accusation. And if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move, from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. So here's the next thing, why? Who Jesus is, he's supreme. Why do we care? Because in God's supremeness, you just finished reading in Colossians, that in his supremity, what did he do? He wanted to redeem us. To redeem us. To buy, redeem means to buy back. It's this act of taking something and bringing it back to where it should be. And there's something about redemption that can be significant. When we see redeeming happen in the world around us, it, those stories of redemption can be impactful and they can be powerful. Let me play for you a small little story of redemption. This happened a couple of years ago in a couple of states far away. But it's a story of redemption. And so I want to play it for you. Two, two quick little minutes. Tonight, he had the chance to get one of his dad's prized possessions. But as 7 News reporter Marshall Zellinger saw firsthand, it didn't work out as Tanner had planned. So this is your dad holding you when you were first born. Tanner Brownlee has memories of his dad all over his house. And this flag was flown over the White House. His dad, Sam, was a Weld County Sheriff's deputy killed in the line of duty after a police chase in 2010. This means so much to me. 
just because he used a motorcycle all the time. He was given his dad's motorcycle jacket the day he died. Just everything I can get means a lot to me. The jacket doesn't fit, and Tanner wants something of his dad's that does. It mean a lot to me and my brother. We, we've been through a lot. 5,000, now 7,500. 5, now 75, who do we 5, 5, 5, 75? 7,500, now 10,000. The Weld County Sheriff's Office is auctioning his dad's retired squad car. I think I'm just gonna look around, see what everyone else is doing, try to copy them. So, just up them by one. The Dodge Charger, with 147,000 miles, is valued at 12,500. 12 and a half, now 15, now 17 and a half. But for Tanner, it's worth so much more. 45, now 50, who do be 50? Thank you very much. More than he could afford at the auction. Tanner's limit had come and gone. 60 now, 62 and a half. Y'all done? Sold it your way, Mr. Steve Wells. Thank you very much. $60,000. And so had his dad's car. Or so he thought. Tanner, here's your car. A stranger just bought Tanner his dad's car. Thanks a lot, man. So you had no idea that that guy in the back was bidding and then going to hand you the keys? Nope, I shook his hand and I didn't know. <laughs> but this is kind of the end of Sam's legacy here. Uh, it's the last tangible thing we have that he was connected to. And, and now Deputy Sam Brownlee's car is back where it belongs, home. No donuts. Uh, I no know, donuts. I, won't, I promise you. <laughs> With photojournalist James Doherty in Greeley, Marshall Zellinger, 7 News. A stranger purchased his dad's car for him. By the way, did you hear the ending bet on that? It was like 60 grand. There's something about that word redeeming. Let me tell you about another auction house moment. It's in the Old Testament. It's actually found in a book called Hosea. And in Hosea, God actually asked Hosea to marry a woman in the community. And who God asked Hosea to marry is not just any woman. It's actually a woman named Gomer. Now, Gomer... Is a, is a prostitute. Why in the world would God ask Hosea to do this? Well, God's gonna be using Hosea as a story of how he wants to work with us. So Hosea does as God asks, and he goes and he marries Gomer, and Gomer comes and lives with him, and then she bears children. But then after a period of time, when you read the passage of Scripture, it says this, is that eventually what happened is Gomer got up one day and then left. She took off again. And imagine, actually, that Hosea got up and he began to pray for Gomer. He began to say, Gomer, where did she go? And actually, you read in Hosea, he actually has his kids praying for their mom. And so he, he's, they're praying, for, where did mom go? Well, Gomer went back into the life that she lived previously. She went back into prostitution. And what ends up happening in Gomer's life, and you read this in the book of Hosea, is that Gomer eventually finds herself back in chains and shackled to other people. And she gets eventually sold into a market, into a slave market. And, and she's there at the slave market and, and, and Hosea is there and all of a sudden God says, Hosea, I want you to go down to where, Hosea, where Gomer is and I want you to buy her back again. And so Hosea takes money and he goes down to the market and he sees his wife who had been unfaithful and while they're auctioning off, Hosea places the bed and he buys back his wife 
and he brings her home. And that is where the word redeem actually comes from. It comes from the book of Hosea. Do you know what Hosea is doing? He is actually redeeming. He is buying back. He is bringing back something that, that, that God wanted to actually restore. And what's amazing about this is that Jesus makes a declaration. I am the light of the world. They said, well, who do you think you are? We go to Colossians. Who Jesus is, is he is supreme. But he is supreme. And why does it matter to us? Because he's a supreme God who actually wants to redeem us back into relationship with him. And just like that young man was caught off guard by somebody who he didn't know buying his dad's car for him. Here our God is, and it says this, is that in all of God's supremacy, you, you, I'm sorry, Owen, I wanna take you back to the, the pictures of, the, of space. Can I show you a picture of space real quick? Let's, I, I had a couple more. I want you to show this right here, the telescope that we were looking at. This is the antenna galaxy. Those telescopes that you just saw, this is the image that they captured from there. This antenna galaxy, by the way, right here, it's actually two galaxies colliding with each other. And, and, and for me, and I know some, sometimes, my wife's not a space person, she hates when I do space illustrations. She's like, I don't, but for me, when I see the God who created that give his life for me, I, I, and that's exactly what Colossians tells us. It's absolutely incredible. And by the way, I have two more pictures. They made a statue in the middle of the desert. It's, it's called the, La, Mano de, La Mano del Desierto, the hand of the desert. Isn't that weird? It's like, you're like, what's happening? Is that Burning Man? I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Let me show you what it looks like at night. So you have the creator of everything. He's, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Now I want you to think about this, and this is really, really matters when it comes to understanding the light of the world, ready? Sometimes when we think of God's light, we think that God shines his light to shame us or to highlight every deficiency that we have or every area that we've gone wrong. Sometimes we think that God actually wants to parade us around and he's angry with us. Can I just tell you, the light of the world doesn't come to expose us. What the light of the world came to do was give his life for us. That means that God is not interested in shaming anybody. In fact, he didn't come to condemn the world, the Bible says. What God came to do, what he came to do, the creator of all of that was actually to come to where we are and to remind us that he can be brought back into relationship with him. He is good. So why, why should we care? We should care because God is a redeeming God. And then the last thing is this, ready? What? What does this have to do with our everyday lives? What does this have to do with our everyday lives? I'm gonna invite the worship team to come back up and we're gonna wrap up. What does this have to do with our everyday lives? Well, let me give you a thought, ready? What Paul is writing to the, to the Colossians is this. He's saying, Jesus is supreme. He is everything. That's who Jesus is. That answers the question of who Jesus is. And Jesus came to redeem. That's why he came. But what he's communicating with us is this, is that Jesus is sufficient. Now, track with me, ready? Only Jesus is sufficient to redeem because he is supreme. That rhymes. Way more than I meant that to, and then I'm saying it out loud. Jesus is sufficient 
to redeem because he is supreme. So the argument is this, there is nobody else who's more supreme than Jesus. And no one can compare to him. So you don't have to go to 18 other places to try and find hope, to try and find joy, to try and find peace. You go to one place, he is supreme above it all. And because he's supreme and his goal is to redeem, guess what, that means that he is sufficient, meaning that Jesus is enough and there is nobody that compares with him. So this Christmas, my encouragement is that Jesus is sufficient because he is supreme. He's enough for your problems and the burdens that you brought with you to church. He's enough to care about your life. I'll end with this. In 2019, we had a big Easter service here at Renovation Church. This is before we had two churches. And we packed the place out for Easter. In fact, we gave out cards to the church for you guys to go invite other people. And one of the people in our church, he took it so seriously. He's like, I'm inviting everybody to come to church. I'm like, all right. And sure enough, Easter came. He took up like three rows right there in that middle section. And when he sat down, he looked at me. I got up to preach and he goes, I'm like, ah. I gave the gospel message. And on that Easter Sunday, we gave out something. We gave out this, a bracelet. And it just simply says, Jesus is enough. And he brought 52 people to church. And we went to lunch, we were hanging out. And he said, man, I've made some bad choices in my life. Fell into drugs, made some bad choices with relationships. He goes, but, but God brought me back and I never wanna leave him again. And then at lunch he told me he was diagnosed with cancer. And then, he, and then he said, I don't, this is like, this is like his third round. And then he said, I, I, don't, I don't know if I'm gonna make it. He goes, so with the rest of my life, what I wanna do is I wanna tell them what God did for me, people. So when he had the 52 people in church, you know what he's doing? He's saying, if God could do something in my life, he could do something in yours. For faith to be real, it has to impact our everyday lives. I don't know how you came into church. Who Jesus is, is that he's simply, he's simply the, the supreme one who redeems and he's sufficient to do all of it. And even for that, he was my buddy. Even for my buddy that passed away. And I visited him before he passed. And he still was like, God's with me, it's gonna be okay. He was sufficient for him in every one of those areas. I wanna invite you to stand. We're gonna close worship, uh, church out with worship. Here's the thing that I've been led on my heart. This is what we did this last worship night. My hope and prayer to you is that you would be reminded that the light of the world is sufficient for all of your needs. And the worship team's gonna lead us in worship, but I want you, if you can, whatever need you brought with you into church today, whatever thing that you've been wrestling with or navigating through, a supreme God who is over everything. He actually wants to redeem us, buy us back. He's enough. So whatever thing that you feel like you don't have the strength for, I want you to give it to God. Whatever thing that you're unsure how to navigate through, I want you to give it to God. Anything that you're unsure of, how do I make it? I want you to give it to God because he is supreme and he is sufficient. Jesus is enough. So we're gonna go into worship.
And if you want, you can come down to the altar and pray, just you and God. If you want, we're gonna have prayer team in the back, and if you want someone to pray with you over you forever, we're gonna do that. But we're not gonna leave until we go to a God who is able to do infinitely more than we might ask, think, or imagine, and hand him a God who's sufficient, the things that are on our hearts. So let's end service, turning our attention to him. Thanks for listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. Find out more about following Jesus and building his kingdom at therenovation.church.